uh, and we're going to continue in our third session speaking on prayer. And I want to talk about asking God. How do we ask God in the New Testament? Now we started to touch on that in last week's session where I spoke on James chapter 4 where it says, let him ask of God that gives liberally. Now before we get into the message for today, we're going to go into John 14. I want to just recap on what I've said in the last two weeks, just in the first five or ten minutes of this program. When it comes to prayer, we've had this idea that God is in heaven and that there are sin that separates us from God and that an intercessor is needed or there's shortcomings in people's lives and that God is looking for people to ask Him to do something in other people's lives and that He cannot do anything without an intercessor, that He is absolutely powerless unless there are people that pray, unless there are people that are um, looking at God and asking God to do certain things for them. Now, uh, yeah, for them, asking God to do things for them. Now, that is just a way of doing that is simply not life-giving and it is not built on the foundation of family logic. We need to understand that everything we do and everything we look at when it comes to the New Testament or any interpretation about God, that it is all about family logic. It's about the logic um, wherein God is a father and that he loves people and cares for people. And we need to ask ourselves the question that and look at the perspective wherein God is a father, we are his children, and that these children are uh, cared for by God and that we need to relate to God on the same foundation that normal kids would relate to their parents, especially grown-ups. You know, when I go to my father and I ask him things, I'm not going to ask 20 people to go with me to ask in unison to try and convince him to give me something that he has already bought for me and where he's asked me to come and have it from him. Think for yourself, if God has come and he, <clears throat> he says that he wants to bring salvation to humanity, why would he then... He says, I want to save people. Then he says, but unless you ask me and ask me with a sincere heart to save people, I will not save people. Something's wrong with that. Something's wrong with that model. And that is what we've had when it comes to prayer and uh, sin and freedom and healing and all of those kind of things. So I want to say to you that God loves you and God cares for you. And when it comes to prayer, that it is actually all about the goodness of God and the kindness of God and the love of God and that's all about a family relationship. That's what it's all about. Now in the beginning of our uh, a series on prayer, we used Isaiah 58 and it says in Isaiah, 50, oh, excuse me, Isaiah 59, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. And then verse 2, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God and you, your son has hid his face from you that he will not hear. And then it goes on and it explains beautifully <clears throat> how it is actually about the darkness people walk in and their sin is actually the unbelief, the wrong belief system that they were part of where they were not sharing in the love and in the goodness of God. And, um, and then we saw in Isaiah 59 from verse 
14, it says that judgment was turned away from people, not because God's hand was turned away, because he said in verse 1 that his hand is not shortened and his ear is not heavy to hear, but it's all about the logic that they follow. And then he goes on in verse 15, it says, Truth failed and has departed um, from man. Why? Because of the system wherein man was walking. And then verse 16, which was the powerful verse, talking about intercession, uh, read this way in the message. It says, he couldn't believe what he saw. In other words, God saw that God's hand was not shortened to save. God's ear was not uh, too deaf to hear or too heavy to hear or overburdened with the sins of people, but that people were living in a wrong belief system. And then, he, and then the message says it this way, he couldn't believe what he saw. Not a soul around to correct this awful situation. So he did it himself. He took on the work of salvation, fueled by his own righteousness. Isn't that beautiful? So he said there was no intercessor, and that word intercessor we can also uh, replace it with the word an intervener, someone who intervenes or stops something that is destroying the people. So God looked at a situation wherein people was walking in death, walking in darkness, walking in a wrong logic, uh, the darkness was their own wrong or darkened hearts uh, alienated in their minds through the wicked works of serving false gods or obeying laws and rules and regulations to try and get themselves to have eternal life. He looked at that and he said, there's no one that can help these people. There's no one who can intercede or intercept or stop this. And says, then his own hand brought forth righteousness his own hand brought forth salvation and it was fueled by his own righteousness and we saw that intercession in Isaiah doesn't talk about our prayers but that intercession actually talks about God that intervened in Jesus Christ therefore what it basically says is that <clears throat> if there is no man that's gonna uh, uh, basically stop the thing or can help then God will actually intervene himself he will come in himself and he himself will bring forth life in the people so uh, it doesn't say that God cannot do anything unless people pray now uh, what I do want to say about prayer is this and I said it this morning <coughs> in our morning uh, session in Durbanville it's wonderful to pray together. It is beautiful to pray together. It is of God to pray together. Why? Because it comforts us to know that there are people that are like-minded in the same room, that follow the same logic, and we are all in unison about a certain thing, and we are in communication with our Father, as what a family would be, sitting around a table, talking about a certain topic where they are all like-minded. That encourages people. I think of myself. If I go through a difficult time, or um, the other day I just, there was just something that I, it was difficult for me, and I just phoned a friend. And I said, man, this is what I'm going through, and this is what's taking place. And I know, it's almost like I'm saying to him, I know the truth, just say it to me. And... We will be in communication about this and we would know that our request is towards God, the God that gives liberally, 
the God that abradeth not to manifest his kingdom in that area of my life. And you know what? It is so encouraging. It blesses me. It brings uh, a, a strengthening of our heart. And that's what I believe the Bible also talks about in Hebrews, where he says, let us not, not neglect the gathering of the brethren, for there's great power in that gathering. In, uh, when it comes to uh, worshiping together, singing together, praying together, having a message, sharing it with people like a normal Sunday service. And it says there that some people has got the custom not to, or just to neglect that gathering. He says, but there's great power in that gathering. It's not as if God looks at 10 people coming together and then he says, well, let me pour out my spirit where more than one gathers. It's not like that. It is simply when a lot of people come together, there is power in that because they encourage one another because they are of the same mind. I remember in the old South Africa, they had a law that said that um, black people, I think, I can't remember the exact number, but I think it's about 30 people, cannot gather without permission from the government. So in church meetings they could gather, but I'm talking about any political gathering or anything like that. They would want to know, why is that little group gathering there? Why? It's simply because a gathering of people together that are like-minded encourage one another, they strengthen one another's belief. And I believe that is in prayer, when we come together and we pray about the same thing, or we know there are other people that also talks to God about a certain topic, or has got a certain expectation <coughs> uh, placed upon the resurrection power of Christ, and that is like-minded, it encourages us and strengthens our faith in a place where we can find that the, um, it is just not easy to believe. It's a bit difficult, you know. So, uh, yeah, let us just quickly go to James chapter 4 there. James chapter 4 talks about, um, or let me first go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 says in verse 5, it says, If any of you lack wisdom, that which, is, which gives fullness of life, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and abradeth all, takes no account of the past. And what I've said there when it comes to asking last week, when we pray, let us have our request made towards a God that takes no account of the past, neither does he just give to certain people, but he gives to all people. Now, the context here was Jew and Gentile. Now, <clears throat> this was written to the Jews, and the Jews, when James wrote this, had to say, well, if you ask something, ask of God that gives liberally, freely to all. Now, the Jews just wanted to hear that God would freely give to them, and not all, because the others were disqualified because they are sinners. So he says, if you want to ask God, that would ask means to make a request or to have a wish or to have a desire, let the, the desire you have be directed towards the God that doesn't take your works in account, but gives freely and that takes no account of the past. Let it be towards that God. And then it says here in verse 6, and ask in faith, 
Now that ask in faith can, can be, and I believe that is what it means, is ask in the persuasion of the man, Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, who has conquered all sin and all death. And then it says there, don't waver. In other words, don't go back to the law. Don't have this thing of, well, is God a law God or is he a grace God? No. When we ask, it actually means let the request or let the desire be towards a God that gives liberally and takes no account of the past. That means towards a God that's not looking at obedience to laws, rules, and regulations, but that gives to all people, even sinners, freely. That is what he's saying. That's the foundation of asking. I want to just give an example of asking, uh, and I think I gave it last week as well. We are launching a TV station on the 1st of November. And this TV station that we're launching, uh, it was a desire of my heart to have a TV station. And I've had that for many years. But it wasn't something that I was, that I was cognitively walking with, praying about, asking people to pray about it, or anything like that. It was simply a desire that God has put in my heart. And that desire that is put in my heart, as the Bible says in the Psalms, that He will give you the desire of your heart as you are pampered by His goodness and pampered by His kindness. As you find delight in how He has served you and what He's brought for you, you will find in that delight, in that revelation of your union with God in Christ and how you are not a sinner, but how you are holy and, and made righteous by His righteousness, how His righteousness, the righteousness of God, heals you, cures you, he, where He is the one who intervenes and breaks the power of sin over you and brings forth life in you as you simply trust Him. As you see that and are pampered by that, He gives you desires. And the Bible says, make your way known unto God. In other words, make that desire known unto God. So God comes. He gives you a desire. Then he says, make your way known unto God. Trust him or have your mind at rest at his integrity. And then he will bring it forth. And then while you are, the Bible says, while you are in that process there and you see the wicked prosper or those who by their works do see some fruit, but you are not seeing fruit, but you simply relying upon God. Don't fret about that. Simply rest and He will make your righteousness come forth as the noonday. He will shine forth the, this thing that is put in your heart by the power of His resurrection. Okay, now let me say it again. <clears throat> I've had this desire to have a TV station. I believe it was simply born from a revelation of the death and the resurrection of Jesus when He brought forth a desire in my heart to have this station. I didn't go and try and pray it out of heaven into the natural. I didn't try to faith it into the natural. None of that. My prayer, without praying, as we traditionally know pray, praying, my prayer or request or desire in my heart or confident expectation was that the God that uh, keeps, that blesses freely all people freely, that takes no account of the past, will just bring this forth. And that's how I actually prayed 24-7, if you want to call it like that. 
It was just something that I walked in my heart with. Like what you would have a desire to have a, a nice house. You know, some people want a house at the beach. And so you think, man, if I can just have a house at the beach one day, and then your desire is actually, your prayer is towards your job. If I can just have an increase, then I can pay that and buy that uh, house at the beach. Now your prayer is actually towards your job. Your desire is, I wish the boss can give me an increase. I wish the boss can see what I'm doing. In the same way with this TV station. You know, in the, the desire can so be towards what needs to take place in this world to bring it forth instead of simply God that gives liberally. And my desire was, through the grace of God, that according to James here, it says, but let him, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it says in verse 5, if you lack wisdom, that which gives life, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally. So I didn't have a thing, well, I'm expecting the God that rewards obedience. Or I'm expecting the God that if I've done my part, he will do his part. No, I've expected that the God that gives to all men, be it Jew, be it Gentile, be it free, be it slave, be it according to the law, a sinner or not, but that gives to all people freely. I expect that God to bring it forth. Do you know why my prayer was towards that God, if you want to call it like that? It's because if I had to have my prayer to have that TV station manifest towards a God that uh, takes sin in account or wrong words or uh, doing everything right or always reading the Bible or praying or always preaching and all, then I would not, my heart wouldn't have been able to receive it because I would know my shortcomings. But if it is an expectation and an asking, and that asking is not a cognitive asking every day, but an underlying desire towards this God, almost like a wish. You know, we've been, we've had this thing of, of I wish I have something, almost have a weakness to it, because it's just a wishing, because the power is within yourself. No, my wish is, and if I use the word wish, it means the strong desire that comes in me because of the finished work of Jesus is that the provision that God would, that, that the provision Dynamic Love Ministries has will be without asking money all the time, without begging, without preaching five principles or any of that, but simply by the resurrection power of God. That's also then my prayer. And I find that my life and my teachings and everything I do is actually then a prayer that is directed towards the God that gives liberally or within the paradigm of absolute liberty towards all and takes no account of the past. And all of that, I know that is who God is. And from that God, I know that there's something that he has made true in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And with that in mind, I can then ask in the name of Jesus or actually have that request from in my heart or expectation is the right word. Thank you, Lord. Have that expectation in my heart 
from the perspective of a man at the right hand of God, and that is my rightful place. Amen. That's also what it means to ask in the name of Jesus. It says in James 4 verse 1, it says, From where comes war and fighting among you? Come they not even from your lust that war in your members. You lust and you have not. You kill and desire to have and you cannot obtain. You fight and war and you have not because you ask not. You ask and you receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it on your own lusts. You're adulterers and adulteresses. Know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Now let me explain that. That is a scripture that clearly explains what it means to ask of God. That's a scripture that clearly explains how to ask wrongly as well, what wrong asking would be all about. So when he says, you ask amiss, what does he mean? He says, you don't have, why? Because you don't ask. And those who ask, you don't have because you ask amiss, so that you can spend it upon your own lust. Now, what does that mean? The people there, and a lot of the folk going through these difficult times, that uh, these Jews, they were not putting a demand or having an expectation of the finished work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to bring forth patience and long-suffering in them in the difficult time that they were going through. They didn't have that. They were not even expecting God to help them. It's almost like a time when I was in Bible school and I was thinking, when I'm going through a difficult time that the Lord tests me. When I'm going through the test, I wouldn't ask God for help. Why? Because I'm writing the test He's giving me. And now He's actually testing me to see as if I can believe enough and quote enough scripture and push through and resist temptation. So my, my request is not towards God. I'm not even asking Him anything. I'm not asking Him. I am simply relying upon my own power. And then it says here, that there, there are those that ask, but they ask amiss. In other words, they ask, but the way they ask is to spend it upon their own lust. And what is the lust? What is the friendship with the world that he's talking about here? He's talking about the friendship with Judaism. They are expecting God to do things uh, in, inside the parameters of legalism and law, wherein they mix law with grace, and now they are coming to a law grace mixture God and they want an answer from that God and there is no power in that. It's not as if God cannot answer prayers, but it is the God they're asking, the, the requirement they make is actually something like, oh God, um, give me the power to go and circumcise my children so that they can be the, uh, your, your children. I will tell you, God cannot give you that. It is impossible. You ask amiss to spend it upon your own lust. In the very same way, we can find our identity in works, and we want God to empower our works so that we can feel we are the children of God. You're asking amiss. That is what he's saying, to spend it upon your own lust. And that we can quickly connect to Romans 7, wherein we see that Paul talked about basically spending effort and prayer upon his own lusts where he was desiring to fulfill the 10th commandment which says 
you shall not desire. And then he was filled with all kinds of concupiscence and bad lust and all those kind of things. So, um, in summary, James is basically saying to them, listen, have an expectation. This is the asking. Have an expectation. If you need wisdom, if you need that which gives life, have an expectation that God that gives liberally, that takes no account of the past, that gives to all people, that nothing can disqualify you, let your expectation be from that God. And then you look at what that God has given you. That faith is then in what Christ has done. In other words, having an, having a, an expectation based on the perfection that you have in the finished work of Jesus Christ, where you don't walk in disqualification, but in life. And what he also talks about in James is not stuff, but simply a life wherein we can experience his life. That's what it is all about. And then um, James 4 just quickly said, just uh, re-emphasizes that, let us not come and have a law-grace mixture approach to God, because that makes life very difficult, and it's as if God doesn't answer us. That's what it is. It's not as if God doesn't answer, but it is where our mind is so blinded that we are expecting the law to work. But the law doesn't work. Only grace works. Now I want to go to John 14 verse 9. It says, um, it talks about Jesus here and how he has told people that we will do greater works than what he has done and how this asking works. So I want to read from John 14 verse 9. It says, Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and you have not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how say you then, show us the Father? Believe you not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words which I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father which dwells in me, he does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me, for the very work's sake, verily I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do shall he also do, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, this is a passage in the scripture that has confused many people. It has condemned or brought guilt to the hearts of so many because we thought that we need to do bigger miracles than Jesus. Now I want to ask you, what bigger miracle do you want to do than raising the dead? What bigger miracle do you want to do than conquering the sin of humanity? There is no bigger work than that. There is no physical greater miracle than that. Are you going to now, in the name of Jesus, out of thin air, create human beings? Man, God has already done that. What are you going to do that's greater than the work of Jesus? Nothing. If we talk about extraordinary miracles, you'll never do greater works. But if we talk, if we define a great work from a different logic, then we will be able to do greater works. You remember that the Bible says that the greatest of all the prophets was John the Baptist. In other words, <clears throat> we had Moses, and Moses was also a prophet, 
and Moses opened the Red Sea. Moses spoke to a rock and water came out of that rock. Uh, Moses saw for many years manna fall from the sky. They saw a rock that followed them where they went and water gushed from the rock. They saw how God destroyed Egypt in front of their eyes. They saw a pillar of fire. I mean, they saw so many things. Moses. Then Elijah. Elijah came and with his mantle opened uh, the Jordan. I think it was the Jordan. Opened it. We saw so many things that took place with Elijah. Elisha, the double the amount of miracles. All these Old Testament mighty prophets, Ezekiel, seeing the glory of God and so forth. And then comes John the Baptist and he doesn't do one miracle and yet he is greater than all of the prophets. Why? It's because of the word he says. The old prophets prophesied towards Jesus and then what made John greater was he was the one that announced Jesus. He said, this is the lamb. And the work he did as a son of a high priest right there was in the prophetic action of the baptism of Jesus and all those kind of things, there was fulfillment in, in what he did there in the Jordan. And that's what made him greater. So there was a word that was in his mouth that was greater than the other apostles or the other uh, prophets. His word was, now is the end of Judaism. Now is the end of finding your life in your flesh. For God can, out of these stones, raise up children unto Abraham. So he had a greater word, and whatever actions he had, based on a greater word, spoke about or rated his greatness. Now, so John the Baptist did greater works, I believe, than Elijah and Moses and all those. Why? Why was he a greater prophet? Because he had a greater work. What was the greater work? He announced the Messiah. That is what he did. And there was a prophetic role that he played there and also a priestly role that he played there. So he was greater. The Bible clearly says he was greater than all of these other prophets. And the other prophets had works and John the Baptist had works. And he was actually, the Bible says, Elijah returned that spoke. Now, I don't believe Elijah physically came back and in reincarnation, those kind of things. It is just in the power of the prophet Elijah. And he had a message that was greater than all of those prophets. And he was then John. Then the Bible says, those of us who are in the kingdom are greater than John. So Jesus comes and he says that, the works that I do, you will do. I believe he's talking to the disciples and prior to the cross of Jesus Christ, they would do miracles and they would preach and they would baptize and do all those things. And that would be in the power of Jesus being the Messiah that has not died, that has not raised. And they would do whatever they do simply on obedience towards Jesus, where Jesus says, go and do these things and I give you the power. But now... After the resurrection, they will do it in the name of Jesus, meaning in the power of the resurrection, seeing a man at the right hand of God. And when they see that man at the right hand of God, their word would be greater. Why? Because Jesus' word was, I will die. Their word would be, his word was, I will die and be raised. 
the word of the apostles would be, He has died and was raised. Therefore now, a word that was not yet there, there is a human in the Godhead, and that is the truth about you. And every work or everything we do, be it love or peace or joy, would be greater than that which Jesus has done, or the apostles has done, simply because of the greatness of the word or the foundation from where this happens. And now, when we ask, the Bible says here, whatsoever we ask in the name of Jesus, He will do, and that will give glory unto the Father. And there's another place where the Bible says that they've asked nothing up to that moment in the name of Jesus. They've just asked the Father, but they have not asked in the name or on account of the resurrection of Christ. So, a person that's a paralytic that was healed by Jesus, was healed by Jesus on account of the power of God in Jesus showing people and pointing to people that He is the Messiah and that He's carrying their sin. But we now, when we do miracles, even if we also heal the very, very same miracle, a paralytic, and we've got a request in our hearts for a healing or a sign or a wonder, the foundation from where that happens is the foundation of the resurrected Christ. So, Jesus had a word, and that word was that the kingdom of God is now in the earth, and that he's starting to work now, and he's ending the old. And that word was confirmed, and he came to carry the sin of the world and carry our sickness, according to Matthew 8. And... <coughs> And as he carried that, we saw signs, wonders, and miracles as he was carrying our sin, carrying our sickness, carrying our disease. And that spoke about the word that he would be raised and that he is the Messiah. And the Father was confirming everything Jesus said by these miracles. But now, after Jesus was raised, there was a message of the resurrection of God has conquered sin, has conquered death. And we now, that make a demand on that, we are now actually having a request based on what has happened and not what will happen. Therefore, it is greater. It's greater. What is the greatest? To say to you that I'm going to give you a million dollars or to say that I have paid the million dollars into your account. What is the greatest? If I tell you, listen, I'm going to give you a million dollars and you're very happy, or if I say to you, I have put it in your account and now you're happy, which work, which joy is the greatest? Obviously the one that is based on what has happened. So the, that's why Jesus said, the works that I do, you will do. You will just, while Jesus was on the earth, do what Jesus has done. But afterwards, you will ask in the name of Jesus. In other words, the request that your life will be a request before the Father on account of the finished work of Jesus Christ where we will pray and this will be our prayer. The Spirit uh, and the Bride will say, Come Lord Jesus. We are asking and we are having a request and a wish in our hearts that the God that gives liberally based on our persuasion, the faith that there is a man at the right hand of God will bring forth the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, and in the end, immortality. That is what Jesus was talking about there. That's what I believe the context is and the power of that prayer. So when we ask, we're not, we're not, he's not talking about asking here, begging and uh, uh, pleading stuff from heaven. I believe that 
the asking that there was in the old was they were the, 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 the people were actually asking the law to give them life by obedience to the law. But now we're not asking the law. We are having a demand and a desire and a request based on what we know is already true since there is a man seated at the right hand of God. And if I look at my own life, I'm not asking God, saying, um, oh God, give me the strength to love my neighbor. No, I see a man at the right hand of God and my prayer, that prayer can be with words or simply a request in my heart that I've made known to God, is that the very life of God will manifest in me by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not that he will strengthen me to obey a law because my prayer is actually towards the law. My wish is towards the law to fulfill and bring life to me. No, my request is, and this is my desire, my desire is that the God that has conquered sin and death, that has put a man at the right hand of God, and from there he has promised me the fruit of the Spirit. My prayer is, if we want to use the word prayer there, or desire, or confident expectation is that life from there flows in me. And you know what? He says here clearly that you will ask the Father. He says in verse, verse 13, he says, Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. What that means is, as I'm saying, I'm not expecting good works in my life by having strength to obey the law. But my expectation, my prayer is that the God that gives liberally, that takes no account of the past, that gives life freely, will manifest his life in me. The Bible says here that Jesus will bring that forth in us. And then the Father would be glorified in what the Son accomplished in his death and in his resurrection. The works we live today, simple love, is greater than what was happening on the earth when Jesus walked on the earth. Why? Because what happens in our lives today is on account of what was already accomplished. The life the apostles lived was by the inspiration of Jesus on what will take place. The life we live is on inspiration of what has taken place and what is true. We are living the greater life because what we're experiencing today is the substance. It is the true thing that Jesus died for and rose up into. And we are seeing God manifesting His kingdom in the earth as He brings forth the fruit of the Spirit by the Holy Spirit in us. And then in the end, we will even find Him conquering physical death in us. In conclusion, how do we pray? It's very simple. You look at the finished work of Jesus Christ, and from that finished work of Jesus Christ, you'll find desires come to your heart. And you just have that desire based on that finished work of Jesus. And the Spirit of God will bring it forth. Can we use words? Of course, you go and talk to your Father. And you talk to Jesus about what you feel in your heart. If I think of uh, my ministry, if I think of my family, I speak to God and I say, God, I want to thank you that this situation here, is let me just use my my son Henry for instance you know he's finishing school this year and it was like we didn't know what he was gonna do next year there were many options but the desire of my heart was not 
that he will just go and do what is the right thing to do, but that whatever he does will come and be born from God. That is the desire of my heart. And that was a continual prayer before God. That is what it is. In times we think prayer is, I must actually say the words. What about the mute people? How do they pray? They just have a desire. They make known to God in their heart, isn't it? And they speak from their heart. That's how they do it. And they have that expectation. Like I said last time, somebody worked for me. After he worked, he will, he will stand at... Man, you see, if you go to the restaurant, and, or in South Africa, you go to the uh, uh, filling station, they fill up your car for you. After he filled up the car, then he comes to the window. And when he comes to the window of your car, I always joke with him. I said, you've got that look as if, I've, as if I owe you something. Do you want something from me? Why? Because after he filled up the car, and he's put a tank of gasoline in the car, and he comes to the window, he's actually now praying you to pay him. He's requesting you to pay him on account of what has been accomplished. And that is how I see prayer. You know, with me, when I sit in the throne room of God, when I, when I, when I hang around God and around the gospel, my expectation is simply that that resurrected Jesus and the fullness of him and that truth about him that that will manifest freely by the Holy Spirit. My request is not to have things. My request is not even to have fruit. My request and the desire of my heart, and I'm already seeing a lot of that fulfilled, is to have His fruit. To have a life born from Him. Born from His resurrection. Therefore, it's hands off, relying upon Him, and He brings it forth. He brings forth passions, desires, and then the power, and manifest that by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, like a good preacher, I'm ending off for the last time. This whole message, I had a prayer. While I was talking to you, I was praying. And this was my prayer, that this message and what I preach here, that simply the resurrection power of Christ, that from there it will not saying, oh God, I wish you will do this. That's not how I, how I pray. It is simply, as I was preaching here, there was a, inside my heart an expectation and a confidence that the resurrection power, through what I'm doing here and preaching to you, that it will just manifest life to you and bring understanding. And I'm sure it has happened to many of you and will still happen in the lives of many as they watch this or even other than that, other than outside of this message that I preach today, that will happen in the lives of people. Glory to God. Amen. Let us just pray together. Father, I want to thank you that we can behold a man at the right hand of God. I want to thank you, Father, that we who believe that Jesus died and was raised, these signs shall follow them that believe this. In my name they will cast out demons. In my name they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And I thank you, Father, that I can come right now and I just in the Spirit lay my hands on people and I say in the name of Jesus Christ, you are healed. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are provided for. In the name of Jesus Christ, you have wisdom and knowledge. In the name of the one that abradeth not, that takes no account of the past, that gives liberally to all men, your needs are met. 
in Jesus' name. And thank you, Father, that the request from my heart, not that I am saying you must do it because you're not busy with it, but just as an open, almost like a portal, an open heart towards you, there's an expectation that you, the good God that loves people, brings dimensions of understanding in your church about what you've done that we have not seen yet. Thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for watching, and please don't forget to go and uh, look at our Ephesians course. I'm going to ask you, Leanna, just as we end this, if you can just play that. Um, I'm just going to play for you guys again how to get to the Ephesians course on our website, and then we're ending off with some music. Thank you so much. God bless you. The first thing you're going to do is to go to vertebrates.com or dynamicministries.com. On our website, you will see under the Web Church tab, right at the bottom, you'll find Bible Courses. When you click on Bible Courses, you'll see there's a short introduction video, a short description, and then the link that will take you to the Udemy platform that hosts our course. When you click on that, you will see our course. It is available for free, but you will have to enroll. After you've enrolled, you will have access to the whole course from Ephesians 1 to 6. It is got, it's got 44 lectures, and it's about seven and a half hours long, all of them. The structure we use is very simple. You will find... Um, Ephesians 5 in the Resurrection Bible, the chapter, and that will be downloadable in PDF format, and then an introduction to Ephesians 5, and then the first lesson. First lesson in this case is 7 minutes and 7 seconds long, and after that, a short quiz, a lesson and a quiz, a lesson and a quiz, until you've done all of it. So that is the uh, Ephesians course. Uh, see, people do like it. We've got 18 ratings so far and we've just launched it this week and um, all of them gave gave five stars which i think is great so i trust that this will really bless you